Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season finale's greetings. Ah, yes. And welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. And I am JP Motor. And we're here to celebrate one of the greatest albums Ah, of all time. Yes. We're going to tell you what makes it great, why we think it's awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. We're wrapping up season nine. Closers for me are always a little 50-50, as I'm kind of saddened a little bit that we won't be bringing you the weekly programming you are so accustomed to, and thus a little less interaction, but I'm always so stoked as we save bangers. Top tier for our closers. Yes. We try to go epic. Yes. Freebird with David McKee Barnes. Yes. One of my favorites, Sticks with Lawrence Gowan. Yes. Season seven, we actually did two closers with the final countdown with <laughs> Nick of Europe and whoop, there it is, with uh, with Tag Team. Yeah. But today we're covering probably, this is a big statement, my favorite album of 91. Okay. Which is huge to say because R.E.M. at a time, Metallica Black Album. Yeah. Pearl Jam 10. Uh, but Rob, well, first of all, we're going to talk to the lead singer of this album at the end. So yes, stick around. We are. Um, Rob, tell them what uh, album we're covering, by which band, the name of the lead singer, whatever you want to say. <laughs> to close out season nine, we are covering Pocket Full of Kryptonite, the debut album by the Spin Doctors. And we're going to talk to Chris Barron, oh, lead singer yes. of the Spin Doctors. So let's kick it off with track one, side one, Take it Pocket Full of Kryptonite. This is Jimmy Olsen's Blues. track to Pocket Full of Kryptonite, the debut breakout album from 1991 by the Spin Doctors. It went to number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers albums chart, number one in Austria, Canada, New Zealand, top five in UK, Norway, Austria, Europe, overall, Sweden, and Germany. It went to number three on the Billboard 200, where it really hung in there in the top five around some iconic albums. The top five that week Number one, The Bodyguard, which okay. was number yeah. one for literal months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number two, you'll laugh, but it was huge. Breathless by Kenny G. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I get it, man. I get it. Hey, hey, do yeah. you remember? They used to play Kenny G on the radio. Yeah, I know. Like a lot. I know, yeah. He, I, I lived it. I remember. Yep. <laughs> he really had a moment. Um, number three was Pocket Full of Kryptonite. <laughs> 
Yeah, for real, man. It's right. Over. Number four was Eric Clapton's Unplugged album. Okay. And number five uh, was the peak week for 12 Inches of Snow by Snow. Snow. When Informer oh, yeah. just blew up out of that's, nowhere. That's um, great. In and out of the top five during the Spin Doctors run in the top five. Like, they stayed in that top five and peaked at number three because of uh, because of the bodyguard wasn't moving and Breathless by Kenny G was just having a, a day. Um, but in, in, other albums that were in and out of that top five while Spin Doctors okay. stayed in uh, were The Chronic, Dr. Yeah. Dre, Get a Grip by Aerosmith, yeah. huge, their huge, oh, like, man. reinvention yeah. almost yeah. album, uh, and Janet by Janet Jackson. Dude, like, those great. were all trading spots in the top five during that during that point. Man, Get a Grip. Oh, gosh, yeah. Right? right I mean, that was Good. that had uh, uh, crazy, crazy, crying, crying amazing, amazing, you know, uh, and... Uh, uh, the one we covered. Uh, pff, living on the Edge. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, massive albums. Uh, let's see. Pocket Full of Kryptonite was the number seven album for all of 1993 in the U.S., uh, and number three in Europe and number four in Canada. It was the number 95 album of the entire decade okay. of the 1990s. It is certified platinum in Europe and Australia and certified five times platinum here in the United States. Uh, it was recorded at the Power Station in New York City and at Acme Recording Studios in Mamaroneck, New York, which leads me to the only thing that I know about Mamaroneck, New York. This is the only thing I know about Mamaroneck, New York, and it's it. the only reason that I even know how to pronounce that, because it's it's M-A-M-A-R-O-N-E-C-K, okay? So to me, it looks like Mama Ronek. Like, <laughs> I would have not known how to pronounce sure. this, except for this. I listened to a, a, a radio show, a podcast version of a radio show called The Michael K Show. Michael K is the... Uh, Play-by-play voice of the New York Yankees on television. And he hosts a, a, a radio show on ESPN in New York, and I listen to their podcast. Okay? They take phone calls from listeners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they do this thing every year called Drop Madness. Um, and it's where they take, like, the funniest just – you know, they'll, the radio shows will have one thing. Somebody says something funny or they flub something, and they'll just keep playing it as yeah. a bit, you know, and they'll drop it in occasionally. Um, so they they have this thing that they do called Drop Madness every March where they – Take the best drops from the year, yes. put them in four regions, and do a March Madness thing with an eventual winner, and all people vote on Twitter, okay? So this was a number four seed in, in one of the regions, and they what happens is they're getting a call, um, and they the, the producer answers the phone first and gets the information from the person, and then they put them on, right? They say, okay, here you go. You're going on. So this, was the, this is what happens. I think I'm saying this right, Peter. Stench in Mamaroneck. You're on ESPN New York. How are you, sir? Oh, hey. No, it's uh, Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so the producer somehow got the impression that this, this guy's name was Stench, Stench. And he was calling from Mamaroneck, right? And so, and he said, "No, actually, it's Bennett." Listen one more time. <laughs> I think I'm saying this right, Peter Stench in Mamaroneck. You're on ESPN New York. How are you, sir? Oh, hey, no, it's uh, Bennett. <laughs> I don't know why, but anyway, that's Don Lagreca. He's one of the co-hosts of that show, and um, so that's the only thing I know about Mamaroneck, New York. Well, you pronounced it but right. When am I going to get another opportunity to tell that story on here? <laughs> okay, uh, pocket full of kryptonite uh, blew up with a couple of huge singles, and then there's just a ton of like beloved album tracks on here. Um, well, do you want to go chronological and just touch on them? Yeah, like up and down the album. Let's do okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's start. We we played a little Jimmy Olsen's Blues. Yeah. I wrote just little bullet point notes Perfect. that I like about it. So Jimmy Olsen's Blues, which you heard earlier, favorite of mine to cover. Uh, one of my favorite opening tracks. I reference this on the regular, you'll hear, but maybe one of my favorite Spin Doctors track. But you're going to hear me say that a lot. Yeah, like, sure. 
Um, easy progression, except for that awesome bridge. Yeah. It's basically <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama progression, but true. Uh, um, but with an awesome bridge. Yeah, and, that's true. And, uh, and so, yes, and that's a great song. You know, The Way to My Heart is superhero talk anyway. Yeah. So, like, right. Jimmy Olsen's blues, J- like, the story is Jimmy Olsen is secretly in love with Lois Lane. Yeah. He's trying to get with Lois Lane. But how are you going to top Superman? Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, but he's like, but it's, it's not from a... Um, it's it's more from a swaggy place though, right? It's yeah. come on downtown, stay with me tonight. I got a pocket full of kryptonite. Right. Like yeah. I got I got this handled. Yeah. If you would just if you'll Give just see me. me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I think so. that's great. Um you wanna jump ahead to number two? What time yeah, is dude. it? Here, Here we, we go. go. This song I think was the the literal result of somebody uh asking this question while they were playing on stage and Chris just started jamming on it. And then they end up with a song out of it. This is what time is it? How many times throughout the day, uh, anytime anybody asks me what time it is, that's every time, right? Yeah. Those chords are so funky. What time is it? I mean, come on. Goodness gracious. What is Let's, it? What's his bread and butter? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's not me. No. No. It's just early. Early. Listen to this. Early. Such a good section. It's my bread and butter. Ain't got no other. Aaron Comas killing on the Dang, drums. It's on the TV. What a great it, stylistic fusion Spin it, Doctors are. This is where we hear that he's the king of the. This is like his first. In, this is our first introduction it's true, to, to him. like some scat. No yeah, Chris Barron. to the, him to the to that. Yeah, to, um, it's verse two to Doctor the Spin. Yeah, there he's we a get. little English to Doctor the Spin. And there we go, and we've got our Spin Doctors yeah, spin introduction. Doctors, that's right. Spin Doctors, by the way, if you don't know, if you've never heard that term outside of the span, that's like what they call people who. Uh, you think of like election night, right? Or or after a presidential debate, let's say you've got the you know they go to like the newsrooms and they say, how do you think the, how do you think the you know the incumbent did tonight? And they have somebody that basically takes whatever happened and, and tries put to it on their side, put yep. a, a positive, put it in a positive light. Yep. They call those people spin doctors. Um, so anyway, in this case, we want to be in spinning records. I don't know, oh, you know, true. spin yeah. doctors, right? Uh, but anyway, such a good mix of groove, yep, funk. And rock yeah. and just jam, you know yeah. what I mean? And blues. They're originally like a straight up blues. We're going to talk to Chris Barron about this. Much more of a blues band, yeah. Um, and and wound up here with this beautiful, you know, fusion kind of thing. Uh, next up, we've got their the first big single. This one's the one. This that is the lead took single. Off. Yep. This is Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. The drum sounds on this album are just incredible, dude. Not about his ex-girlfriend, but actually about his stepmom. How about that? This song is about his oh, stepmom. Little, little language on this one yes. for you guys. Gonna be a lot of bleep in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody upstairs. Nobody at the back door. Shotgun. 
What a great line, Goodness. dude. She wants one man made of Hercules and Cyrano. Sing along. The bass playing on this record, so superb. Goodness gracious. Without getting in the way. It's never in the way. And there is the way to my heart right there. Also, the first three notes of that guitar solo tell you we are in Dorian mode. (laughs) These are the notes that you need. This is all the sonic information that you need. We're hitting the six, flat, three, one, right? That's like we're in Dorian mode. Boom. If you you were curious how we were going to play this. It's Dorian. Okay. Uh, yeah, his stepmom told him he'd be nothing more than a janitor living in a basement. He says, hey, there's nothing wrong with being a janitor. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he said he made a little bit more of himself, huh? So that's awesome. So good job for Chris. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all right. Moving on from that, here's 40 or 50. Oh, yes. Change of pace. I know I could have said this on one through three, but here's maybe my favorite Spin Doctor song. Okay. I love the weirdness in this. Uh, Eric Shinkman on piano on here some, too. That right there, it's like Great if it's an A, so an E flat. Yeah, it's D, surprise. C, right? I had to figure this out. F sharp minor, F major seven, E minor seven, one A, right? I've never sat down and figured out the song. It, I was trying to play along with it. This is about having to test uh, products and food stuff on animals. Oh. I feel like that's what this song is about. Maybe. Having to test like medicines and stuff like that on animals and having to like essentially sacrifice you know them to make us for our benefit. Dude, I I'm way wrong. I love this song. Yeah, dude. Great, great. Let's song. just keep it moving. Refrigerator car. Yeah. Love this intro. So we're really in 9-8 time, but not a 9-8 feel. All the synchronized riffs and hits. That's all snare and kick drum, right? Yeah. Listen to the right hand on the cymbal. It's moving around the time signature. It's staying steady steady. while the time signature moves around it. Yeah, it's... Which is one of my favorite things that drummers do. And then it opens up into this beautifully, like, melodic verse. Come on! Suck it, Pearl Jam. Dude. You can hear any of the... This is... You can hear this bass and be like, what band is that? Yeah. It's like... It's Spindle. Uh, Come on. Yes. There's what, what a melody over the verse that's just... Oh. Yes. Chris, thank you. And then you get a new feel. You never lost your frozen phrase. Passion, blues, and blood is made. 
just Goodness gracious. You're like, oh, you don't like that? We'll just we'll take a left this. turn and yeah. do something else. You're going to like this song one way or another. Yeah. Okay, Come on, bro. this is a good place to pause because it's the midway point on the album. Let's okay. meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. One of the times that you come out of the jingle like, man, give me more spin doctors. <laughs> Most of the time people are happy for the jingle, ready to hear it jump into meeting the band. But you're like, man, put me back on the spin doctors, yeah. guys. All right, let's talk about the guys that play on it quickly and briefly so we can jump back in. Eric Shankman on guitars and backing vocals. Done stuff with Carly Simon and Natalie Merchant. Um, he's got a third solo project out called Who Shot John. Um, on bass, left-handed bass player, Mark White. Um, jazz influenced, and he's trained... Um, very vocal on his atheist realm. Like he talks about that a lot. Wonderful bass player. I like to watch him play. Yeah. Left handed is really expressive, really tasty, really good. Uh, Rob's already spoke on Aaron. Aaron comes on drums. 2008, he put out a project called Sculptures. Also played with Joan Osborne. Um, okay. So yeah. he's her drummer. And on lead vocals, uh, Chris Barron. Man, uh, can't wait till you guys hang out with him. A couple of additional. Uh, that I wanted to touch base on. Uh, John Popper, I uh, yep. got some harmonica on More Than She Knows and Off My Line and backing vocals on Two Princes. Yep. So we we talk with with Chris a little bit about John. I don't know what we'll keep in the interview, but we ask him about some things. Yeah. Um, John Bush. We verified something about John Popper that we talked about in our Blue Ab- Travel Absolutely. Uh, John Bush on Tambourine on Off My Line and Congas on How Could You Want Him parentheses when you can have me rob will be excited to talk That's on right. the love a good parentheses. Sure. so good band those are your guys at the at the midway point um, yep. anything you want to touch on where you jump track six i just I, the way that they and we talk a little bit with with, with chris about this too the, but the way that these guys all this is one of the definitions to me of like the the whole being greater than the sum of its parts you know what i mean like these guys are all really good on their own but then they come together to form something that's just magic. You know, it's like there's no other band that sounds like this. You know, there's not each. It's one of those things that you can pick them out uniquely. Yes, exactly. Right? If one of them is missing, you'd know if somebody's different was playing. Yeah, that's great. You know, or singing. Absolutely. Like, you know, it, absolutely. So, that's yeah. They're also for they're for. So identifiable. Yeah. That's good. And that's so rare in a band. You know what I mean? It's like you said, you can, you know, you can, how, how rare is it that you can listen to a bass player and know who that is? And know who the band is. That's Mark White. Yeah. You know, whatever. Flea, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That's what I'm saying. There's just a handful of times that that happens. But then for every member of this band to be that way, you can listen to Aaron Comas and go, that's Aaron Comas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's Eric Shankman. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like... It's and obviously Chris's voice is yeah. duh you know the it's first an, moment you hear it's it. another instrument it really yeah. is it, so it's like it, 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 so identifiable and that never happens that's like good. you know nobody in this nobody in this unit is is replaceable that's good you know I love it I love it uh, all right more than she knows more than she knows let's kick it this is just two minute twelve song short little song yeah it's like American Bandstand dance yeah jangly pop. You know, our boy John, John Hyde the Swords Popper with a killer harmonica solo. I mean, what can you say? That's, this is just a catch pop song, good, you know. All right, now we may have to camp out here for a second. Absolutely. So we're going into track seven. This is Two Princes. You may have heard it. Yeah. 
First of all, let's talk about that drum fill. Come on, Aaron. The way he, okay, I love the way he does this a lot. He does like drags in his snare fill. I don't know if that's technically the right thing to call it, but the, he does a lot of like rolls up in the middle of a snare fill. So it's not, it's just, it's not just, it's, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff, which I love. His snare sounds incredible. And at the same time, most drummers, if you give them this fill, they're going snare drum only. He's also hitting the kick at the same time. He's going boom. Right? And so take a listen to it with that in mind. But anyway, this is Two Princes. I mean... I never noticed the kick underneath. Oh, yeah? No, I just always hear the... I feel like he's trying to hit to the bottom of the snare. Like he's trying to get all the way through it. I think he plays traditional grip. Oh, really? Like side, really? I think he does. How do you hit it that hard? Though? I've never been able to, to break it your out. wrist. I feel like. Yeah. I'll snap. Here comes one of the most iconic vocal fills of the '90s. Yes, you know sir. you sang along. Goodness you know you sang along. Goodness gracious. Well, and I love that. Like Chris has a great sense of humor about it. He'll often, if you follow him on Twitter, he'll often end a ha- end a end a tweet with like hashtag badibadip. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so I love that he's like. I love for, for those of y'all that were waiting for the radio hit, like, how do I know the spin doctors? I know that there, there it is. That's, <laughs> That's right. You. Yeah. If you didn't know, Little Miss can't be wrong because it was a little too uh, languagey for your local station. Yeah. They definitely played the mess out of Two Princes yeah. for sure. Um, this okay. Let's see, do we ha- do you have anything else you need to say on Two Princes? Yeah, second single, biggest song. It won a Grammy. Uh, VH1 ranked it the number forty-one song of the nineties. Yeah. So I think and and justly so. Yeah. Uh, it was. It went number one on the mainstream top 40 number two on the mainstream rock chart number seven on the hot 100 brilliantly singable in all facets even the guitar solo let's listen to the guitar solo let eric do his thing you can sing every note of this So good, dude. I just that song is just well, never gets old. Same. So yep. so happy yep. making. You know. Okay. So there's the thing that happens whenever something becomes like so popular that it saturates a certain market. Uh, it, it becomes like cool to like hate on it. You know what I sure. mean? And the, the Yankees. Mm-hmm. You know, McDonald's. Certain brands that just become like LeBron James. LeBron, LeBron James. Uh, you know it. Yeah, it's like. Ooh, you know, just because either they're always good, mm-hmm. they always kick your team's butt. Yeah. Tom you know, Brady whatever, they always yeah, win. Yeah. yeah, Tom Brady. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Patriots. Um, so let's just say Patriots. Yeah, yeah they, Patriots they, they for sure. It. Yeah. So like, tons of music, musical artists get this treatment, and in that regard, two princes got that treatment from a website called Blender uh, and was put on their list of fifty worst songs of all time. And I'm going to read you some of this list, and we're going to talk about how BS this list is, okay? This list is so full of it. 
let's see, number 24. I'm just going to hit some highlights and just point out the hypocrisy. <laughs> okay. Number number 24 is Superman by Five for Fighting. That's a great song. That's a great song. Come or, hang or out we with wouldn't a, have covered it. That's right. We wouldn't have talked to John. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Corey Hart, Sunglasses at Night. Come on. I'm sorry. That's a great song. Come on. Like, Absolutely. It has a stupid lyric. Okay, don't switch the blade on a guy in shades. <laughs> that's a stupid lyric. But it, musically, it's very interesting. You um, mean uh, Sweet Dreams are made of this? That's right. Same, yes, exactly. Same. Dancing on the Ceiling? Come, Come on. Are, are you serious? Broken Wings? Freaking Mr. 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 Come on. No. Uh, you're the inspiration? Peterson. Come on. Hello. Everybody. Come on. Sh- uh, let's Chicago. see. What's Up by Four Non Blondes is number 16 on this list. <laughs> I'll Be There For You by the Rembrandts. Freak, and I don't even like this song, and I know it doesn't deserve to be on this list. Bette Midler, From a Distance. That's monster. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, Kokomo? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. They just don't like these because they got a lot of airplay. Yeah. Ebony and Ivory? Come on. You're going to tell me Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder? No. Come on. Uh, let's see. All right, Eddie Murphy party all the time. Maybe. All right, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Are you serious? Number seven on this list is Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, oh, be happy. Dude, you're hurting Rob Are you right now. serious? Rob loves him some Bobby. Huey Lewis in the news. Heart of rock and roll. No, no, no. Uh, all right, let's see. Rolling by Limp Biscuit. Okay, fine. I'll give you a couple. Uh, everybody have fun tonight. Wang Chung is number three <laughs> on this supposed list of the fifty worst songs of all time. Uh, and number one, we've talked about this song before, having somehow gotten this reputation. We Page. built this city yeah. by Starship. Goodness gracious. That's, I'm sorry. That song is awesome. That's a wonderful song. Never tell me otherwise. Absolutely same. Dude, forget. Screw those guys. Blender, get out of here. You're wrong. Away with you. Away You're with wrong. You. Track eight. Track eight. This is off my line. I love this riff. Me too. And I believe this is Eric Shankman on vocals here. It is, yeah. This is our first introduction to uh, the vocalist. Sounds a little different. Got the guitar player singing it. When you were a kid, did it freak you out when you heard a different vocalist all of a yes, sudden? Like yeah, a different yeah, lead? Yeah. Like, what's I mean, happening? Thinking lately how to get you off my line. Don't seem all that easy, but it feels alright. And then you grow up and you just go, oh, that guy wrote the song. He's going to sing it, you know, whatever. Hear the rift between the chorus and the verse getting so fun. Yeah. Dude, yes, that one's got a I great bridge it. too. Progression changes. Love it. Cool. Moving on. How could you want him? Parentheses. When you know you could have me. Here's your emotionally emotionally sensitive uh, doctors here. That's right. Does this sound like a Counting Crows song to you? Ooh, wow. So soothing. Yeah, it could like. It would fit, like if you had, um, if you had uh, Adam Duritz on these vocals, oh, it yeah. would make perfect sense Absolutely. as a kind of gross. I'm sure. It's a of Even like the Gildenstern and Rosencrantz reference, a little, like little Cain and Abel reference there for you yeah. church kids. And I can The song says everything in the hook and the chorus title. Like, mm. it's like... I mean, that's everything right Dude, there. Come I, I love the way that resolves. I do too, man. Just beautiful. All right. And then 
All right, Rob, get your money's worth at the jukebox song. Buckle right. up. Here we go. Buckle up. Let's play a little. We're going to have to cu- break down a couple things on this song. Do it. This is to close the album, a double song. This is Shinbone Alley slash Hard to Exist. If you'd have ended it any other way on this album, it would have been sad. Yes. Like you got to end it this way. Yes. This song is uh, what thirteen minutes long. Oh man, it's an so adventure. It yeah, thirteen minutes. We'll hit the chorus, and then we're gonna find the transition into "Hard to Exist," and we're gonna talk about it for a second. Such great imagery in this song. The chorus is killer. The chords are awesome. The groove is incredible. Aaron's giving it the ands, the upbeats on the ride cymbal, on the verse. All the ghost notes on the snare. He's like king ghost note. That's dope. And then we're going to get into literally just another song. This is called Hard to Exist. We're going to find it. So we're kind of here. That's pretty close. What's going to happen here? I'll try and foretell this a little bit. We're going to switch from a 4-4 groove. 3-4-1-2-3-4 to a 6-8 groove. Seamlessly. And the ride cymbal is going to be kind of your cue as to where we are, sort of. It's going to be on the beat, then off the beat. All right, listen to the ride cymbal. We're about to change to 6-8. And now we're in that full shuffle. Goodness gracious. So it's really like a 12-8. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Because it... And listen to Chris's entrance on vocals here. It's just a whole other vibe. And they just did that totally seamlessly. Ah. I like that he comes in before the first big snare hit. <laughs> So good, man. Come on. That rules, dude. Just so much jamability. I I mean, it just goes on. I can't. Obviously, we can't play the whole thing as much as we would love to. Um, But, yes, that is the way to get your money's worth on the jukebox at Pizza Hut. Put that that quarter in, hit Shinbone Alley slash Hard to Exist, and just be happy. And with, with that being said... I have to transition into Stump the Genius. All right. With that Pizza Hut theme in mind, okay. <laughs> we're going to go most popular songs played on a Pizza Hut jukebox. Wow. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. It's time to Stump the Genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. Okay, this isn't a real list. It's just a list I found online from some lady named Eleanor. Okay. I can't use her last name <laughs> because I didn't ask permission. She okay. just posted it. But there were a couple of duplications of artists. So I picked my top ten. Okay. From her list, she compiled 20 
top 10 songs played at the jukebox okay. at a pizza hut. Okay. You're going to name the band. You, I'm going to give you 10, 10 songs. You get one minute. So that's six seconds a song. To try and name? The artist. I'm going to play them. Oh, you're going to play them. Okay. Toss okay, me the okay. court. We're going to play them, and we're going to see. You get six seconds per song, basically. You got okay. one minute to get 10. Okay. These are the top 10 songs played at a Pizza Hut jukebox. Right, I think I can do this. Rob loves jukeboxes and Pizza Hut. Yeah, I do. Let's set a minute on the clock. Here, you guys play along. Yell out the artist as quickly as you can. If you're faster than Rob, we'll give you a few seconds right. at the end. There we go. You want to count it down? Three, two, one. Here we go. go. That's uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Okay. Uh, Mel and Camp. Mel and Camp. That's uh, Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Oh, oh. Uh, um. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Bangles. Bangles. Share? Share. Turn back time? Um, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. I'm at 30 seconds here. That's uh, Doobie Brothers. Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Steve Miller. Steve Miller. Eagles. Eagles. Love that riff. Uh, Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar. That is two. With 13 seconds 13 to go. 13 seconds right. left. Rob killed it. Top 10 at the jukebox. Thank you, Eleanor. That's I don't know good, your last name. That's a good list. That was a good one. Yeah. Nice job. Um, guys, hope you've had fun, and Song. we're just getting started. That's right. I have one I have one little note here. Um, uh, I, we need to talk for a second about Kryptonite. Let's do it. Okay. we got a pocket full of Kryptonite. That's the name of the album. Uh, but here's a little bit about the origin of Kryptonite, and okay. then we're going to talk to Chris Barham. Kryptonite is the native crystal from Superman's home planet of Krypton, uh, shards of which arrived on Earth as a result of the explosion of Krypton, the same one that sent Kal-El, a.k.a. Superman, hurtling to our planet. Its radioactivity is dangerous and ultimately fatal to Superman. Uh, It's also potentially fatal to humans, but it takes much more prolonged exposure, as in the kryptonite ring that Lex Luthor wore in the comics, which eventually gave him kryptonite poisoning and killed him. Originally, uh, spoiler alert, uh, originally (laughs) appeared in the Adventures of Superman radio show as opposed to the comic books. It appeared in the comics first in Superman 61 in 1949, where it was red, not green. In Action Comics number 161, it became green. There are various colors and types of kryptonite introduced and used over the years, including red, blue, turquoise, and platinum, all of which have different effects on Superman and others. And it is synthetic kryptonite, which is used in JP's favorite Superman movie, Superman 3, there we go. to turn Superman <laughs> evil when his suit gets a little darker and he gets a little stubble and then he gets in a fight with himself. Uh, and it's all, and he's f- flicking peanuts at the bar window yeah. and breaking bottles and stuff. <laughs> evil Superman. Evil That's Superman. synthetic kryptonite. They were trying to manufacture it to be able to use it against him, but something they didn't quite get right. And so it was close, but no cigar. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't finish the deed with Superman. So... That's my that's my spiel on kryptonite. That being said, before we go, well, I'll give it to Rob off air. I got Rob a Superman something upstairs. I need to give. To oh, so to, okay. Well, 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 that'll be a gift for him. God, celebrate season nine. That's right. Hang around and uh, enjoy our time with Chris. You that's guys right. Are gonna love this. Go check us out on socials. Uh, where if you're if you're a new listener, here's where you can find us. Go to Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Great Song Pod, and you'll find us there. We also have a really fun group on Facebook called Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly, or you can just 
go to facebook.com slash groups slash great song pod. And if you just decide you really love the show and you want to be a part of supporting it, helping to produce it, then you can go to Patreon and help us do that. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash great song pod. And if you decide to support the show, we'll open up the world of bonus goodies <laughs> as our humble thank you. Uh, you'll get extended episodes, uh, early releases, full bonus shows, a, w- a whole weekly bonus show during the season, uh, and, and uh, Patreon exclusive episodes that only happen there. So uh, if you're interested in that, go check us out at patreon.com slash great song pod. We are going to go talk to Chris Barron of the Spin Doctors to close out season nine on the Great Song Podcast. We'll be back on the other side to tuck you in. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Chris Barron, lead singer of Spin Doctors, your favorite voice in rock music. I just know it is, just like it is mine. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Great Song Podcast. Oh, my God. Favorite voice in rock music. Thank Come you. On. That's, that's really nice, man. You're, you're my, at the very least, I think I'm going to say you're my favorite living voice. It, while, oh. while, while Chris Cornell was alive, there may have been a competition here. But, no, however. Chris, yeah, Chris Cornell, like. What an amazing singer! Oh yeah, it's good company. That was a monster to, to be in there. Yeah, I uh, I have no problem being, playing second fiddle to, to Chris. Man, <laughs> really, really lovely guy too. Such a shame, man. I like so sad about him. I, I got a I got a good Chris Cornell story. Oh, dude, oh, kick it means. off. There we go. My cousin Pete um, <laughs> came out with the Spin Doctors <clears throat> for like a weekend and stuff, and just decided, okay, this is the life for me. And then he helped me, he tour managed me on, um, on the Horde tour in 92. Okay. And then he was like, and I'm going to become tour manager. And now he, now he goes out with like, um, um, Radiohead and he's like a big time tour manager. Okay. And, um, so he was managing Chris Cornell's solo tour. This is a, this is a while ago. This might've been like the late 20th century. (laughs) And, um, they were like, they'd been on the road a long time. You could tell. And they were like finding ways to amuse themselves on stage. <laughs> and their thing was like flicking guitar picks. Okay. And they'd all gotten like really good at it. And they were, there's a dude named Yogi who's like guitar player. Famous, and he's just like an amazing guitar player. And um, he was like, he had this thing going with his guitar tech where he was like, like, you know, you go and see like Keith Richards and stuff like that. And like at the end of his song, he'll like flick a pick out, you yeah, know, sure. and then like grab another pick off the mic stand. And it's like, I was like, I remember what, you know, opening up with the stones just being like, Oh, that is so cool. Just like at the end of it, every song, just like flick a pick. That's really cool. Sure. You need, you need a, like, instead of flicking like one pick at the end of the show, you're like flicking like 10 picks right, throughout yeah. the course of the show, right? And um, I'm like, cool, I gotta get a lot of picks. <laughs> and um, with my name on them. And then, like, so I'm watching them, and this dude, Yogi, he's, he's like playing a chord and then flicking his pick <laughs> <laughs> mid song. And then, yeah, like right in the middle of a tune. And then he's playing with his finger instead of the pick and he would turn and look over his shoulder at his guitar tech and i was standing on the side of the stage next to the guitar tech and the guitar tech he had like a big like thing of picks there like instead of yogi (laughs) having like guitar picks on his mic stand he was like turning to 
his guitar tech. His guitar tech was like flicking a pick like perfectly. No. And Yogi was like, you know, doing this thing where he he'd turn around like backhand with his elbow high up in the air, catch the pick <laughs> catch like it. backhand, Holy catch it, and then start playing again. And then like this is the Beacon Theater, right? So it's a it's a proscenium theater, one of these beautiful New York proscenium theaters, like you know, like you have in most towns too, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but a little bigger. Like I think the capacity is like eighteen hundred people, and there's a big like a big like uh, balcony. And, and like Yogi is like just zipping these things all the way up to the balcony. And it's not like he's he's not doing it. It's not like, you know, he's not putting any effort into it. It's all like this whippy action, you know, with, (laughs) with the ends of his fingers, you know? So it's like, it's just a flick and it's just flying forever. And it's like kind of perfect spiral pattern. (laughs) And meanwhile, everybody else in the band has picked up on this. So they're all just like flicking picks (laughs) at each other. Like the the drummer is like flicking picks around. Like, what the (laughs) f you doing? You know, like that's awesome. And he was never like missing, he never missed a beat. Like he never missed a chord. He was like it was like playing was like this sort of secondary thing. (laughs) Right. It was about the pick at the point. It was about the show, the pick show. Yeah. I mean you don't see a lot of people who are that natural at at playing like you know ivan neville played with the spin doctors for a couple of years yeah. and um while we were sort of you know we had like a a period where we were um um you know our original guitar player left the band for a while right and we went through like two other guitar players and um at one point we had ivan and another guitar player and uh, ivan neville you know son of aaron Same. neville yeah played on here comes the like, bride with you guys yeah, that's right. Exactly. Oh man, you know the discography. Dude, I love that he's album. like that guy. You know, like when a, when a person is doing something, right? You get the person and then the task, right? And you're like, there's stuff that you know. You walk down the street, and you know, the the, the person and the task are like very close because everybody can walk. You know, sure. <laughs> um, I mean. Hopefully, most yes, um, yeah, most you know, most people can can like you know get get on down the street. It's yeah. just like sort of this thing you could do. You know, you can sleepwalk, right? <laughs> you right. So, but then like you know, when when a task gets a little bit more elaborate, you know, there's a, like a separation between the task and the person. Um, but but like this dude Yogi, it was like there's no separation. You know, he was just like able to do you know like concentrate on the music and play the music and yet be like trying to catch these picks and they're like throwing them, you know? And Ivan, Ivan was like, it was like a whole other level because, you know, keyboards, like he had a clavinet, he had an electric piano and he had a B3 organ. Yeah. And Ivan would be, and he'd be singing backing vocals. So he'd just be like, Ivan would be like, he'd be playing the clavinet and like the organ at the same time, and he'd be like smoking a cigarette and adjusting a picture of his daughter and grabbing a sip of his beer and then like singing backing vocals and then like making a joke. And like it was like there was no separation between him and the music. And he was, he's really like the funkiest individual I've ever like been on stage with, too. Like he, he, he's, he's doing all this stuff and playing the funkiest. You've ever heard in your life, you know? 
That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, on here comes the bride. Since you touched about it, you wrote "Wow" for this album. I really like mm. that song. So raw. It even jokes about the production in the lyric. Um, so <laughs> love love that track. Um, just since you hit on that, um, uh, we uh, we wrote that. That was like me and uh, Ivan. We wrote yeah. that together. We wrote that lyric together. That was. I, th- I think that's the only song that we that he and I. The only lyric he and I wrote together. Uh-huh. That's uh, that, that, that came out. Well, as we rec- record this, it's the 30th anniversary of Pocket Full of Kryptonite. Because can you does it feel 30 years ago? Yes and no, <laughs> you know, but, but mostly yes. You know, actually, um, it was Eric Shankman's birthday, um, yesterday or the day before. Oh, okay. And um, well, we said happy we birthday. Have, Tell him happy birthday uh, from the Great Side <laughs> Podcast. I will. We have like a group text. Um, and, um, uh, like, you know, I, I, I wake up at like, you know, 1030 or 1130 or something like that. And those guys all wake up before me. And, um, you know, I woke up and Eric was like 31 years ago today, I played the solo on 40 or 50. That's oh, awesome. wow. You know, and it, it, cause it was his birthday. I remember like it was his birthday and we were in the studio and he was like, you know, took us a while to get that solo together. And then all of a sudden it was like, take 11. And we was like, me and Aaron were in the control rooms, like looking at each other going like, Oh my God, this is like Mastodon (laughs) giant spider suddenly like took over, you know, the studio. And, um, (laughs) so, you know, that's a long time ago, you know, I mean, I remember, I remember there really was like a feeling of destiny while we were making that record. Mm. I mean, I don't know if that was like just self-generated and we were just young and, and like, you know, full of confidence and just like had conquered New York and we're like, you know, got, got a record deal and we're like, yeah, it's all happening. And here we are in the studio and we were very confident about the material because we've been playing everything for like, a year or two. We were coming off of a like Beatles in Hamburg kind of okay. period of time too, you know, where we, we had just been, you know, in New York city, we would play these clubs and you went on at like, you know, nine on a weekday and you played until two or like you went on at 10 on a weekend and you played until three, three thirty. Um, so, you know, we were just really, we were hot, you know? Yeah. We just went into, we had like a week of pre-production and kind of like just kind of polished the material and went into the studio just like ready to go. And and um, that was at um, RPM Studios, which is on 12th Street in New York. And um, really, really cool, legendary studio. The Stones... I want to say the Stones made steel wheels there. Um, so they had just, actually, they had just, like, recorded there a year or two before. There's a bunch of, like, Rolex Stones paraphernalia. One of the other things I remember is that, you know, we're, like, three Jews and a black. So, <laughs> like, our, me, and, me and Eric grew up pretty, you know, in, a pretty, in pretty secular households. Like, you know, my, I, I never, like, I didn't, I was never, like, practicing. Um, 
and I'm not bar mitzvah or anything. Eric isn't uh-huh. either. Um, but Aaron, Aaron's bar mitzvah, and you know he grew up going to temple, and okay, and um, so I bought a menorah because it was it was Hanukkah, okay, and um, I bought a menorah, and like it, you know we missed like the first couple nights or something like that, but for the rest every night you know. At sundown, Eric, uh, Aaron would like do the prayers and like we'd light the candle. We had like a menorah going. It That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the only time I've ever celebrated Hanukkah, really. <laughs> so the phone Magical. booth cover. Do you know where that yeah. phone booth is? Is it real? Was it a prop? Is it a drawing? <laughs> it's it's a um. It was in a um. Ah, uh, God, what's that called? You know, like a public domain. It was a public domain. Oh, okay, like okay. a stock image. Okay, stock image. Got it. There you go. Now, back back then, you know, there wasn't internet yet. So it sure. was like it. we had – I had like a I, – I kind of art-directed the cover along with a friend of ours, um, uh, Darren Green. We had an art director who – kind of didn't really get the personality of the band. Okay. And um, she came back with um, like a design and it was really kind of getting to be like the 11th hour. She came back with this design that was really kind of, um, you know, lame and kind of flowery. <laughs> and like, it was, you know, it looked like, it looked like, um, you know, fifth grade, <laughs> art project okay. you know that that, a, that like a young woman might have done and it just wasn't it just didn't it didn't work at all and um i was like oh god what are we gonna do you know it's one of those moments where you're just like you got no time and the task just seems like impossible and and like you know it's like this has to be ready tomorrow or this is it and i was like terrible she had she had like put the lyrics together in this way that was like didn't make sense for the lyrics you know the verses weren't like the weren't grouped together she oh, like sure. put it together in a way that fit her design but it wasn't like it wasn't like accurate like punctuation wise and spacing wise didn't tell like, the story the way you have it written out <laughs> yeah it didn't you know it was like cutting off verses in the middle and putting them in another place and it's just it's you know it was like uh, in terms of like <laughs> the meaning of the lyrics so Darren was like, start writing out the lyrics now. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And I just wrote that. I have, that, I have these like particular like felt tip pens that I use when I'm writing. And um, that I've always used since like high school. And I just like wrote it down in like lined paper. And I was like, oh, I made a mistake, you know, and like, like the first thing. I'm like, Jimmy Olsen Blues. And he's like, don't worry about it. Just like cross it out. Just, you know, you do it in your handwriting. Write it, write it like as fast as you need to. It doesn't matter. Like do that awesome, like Chris Barron handwriting that, <laughs> you know, I wrote out, out all those lyrics and you can see in the, in the, you check out the packet, you can see that it's all really kind of like, you know, scribbled out and kind of messy. And I, people come up to me and they're like, I can't read your handwriting. <laughs> so to see that type written. <laughs> um, and then we just had photographs by um, um, our road manager, Jason Richardson, his uncle, um, uh, Paul Lariah, um, you know, was like a really close friend and, and came out with us on like a lot of tours and just had, you know, that kind of access, you know, where we're all just like on a bus together and we're all in 
hotels together. And so he had like some really great photographs from, you know, we, again, there was, you know, you couldn't, there was no Photoshop or anything like that. We just mocked this whole thing up, you know, with uh, like that, you know, with a glue stick, <laughs> you know, and was like, okay, here it is. I was like, I went into like Sony the next day. I was like, here's the design. And, um, um, I forget what your question was. <laughs> it was about the, the, the uh, You're good. yeah, the phone You're good. booth. Yeah. So that's how we got here. We got there. We landed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one photo on there that's like a real photo is the inside cover, um, where we're all kind of like dressed up. Yeah. And that was like, I don't remember who took that photo, but that was, you know, a real photo shoot with a budget and, like a stylist showed up with all those wacky clothes and you know, I, I still have that gold jacket, but I like never wore it again. <laughs> nice. One of those things like, that we'll end up in a hard rock cafe someday. There you go. Yeah. That was the morning after my 21st birthday. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, okay. So I'm very hungover. So- <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why um, you were very young. You know, you wrote, uh, if I, if I remember correctly, you wrote two princes when you were 19, um, That's correct. Yeah. Is how long did you hold on to it before you brought it to the band, or uh, or 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 when you when the first record or when Pocketful of Kryptonite got made? How how old are you at that point? Um, Pocketful of Kryptonite was ninety one, so I was like twenty three when we were making the record. Okay, did you um, bring it to the band immediately, like when you wrote it, or did you hold on to it for a little bit? Well, I was playing it like around the city, like I you know I, I moved to New York. In like 1988, 20 years old, with an acoustic guitar and 100 bucks. Okay. And um, I started just playing, you know, like acoustic gigs. I started, I was mostly like opening up for the Blues Traveler. Yeah. Um, and playing in between their sets um, when they played like this, when they played this place, the Nightingale Bar. So that was in my set. And it was, you know, everybody loved that too. You know, it was like, that was. I I played it differently than it ended up being on the record. I, it was in another key, and um, it was way higher in my range. And, and oh, it was um, higher! Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was like it was <laughs> too high. But you know, it, like I'm I'm a pretty accomplished guitar player now. But when I was 20, you know, I was like, like the idea of like changing the key of the song was like this monumental musical <laughs> task, you know. Um, I don't remember exactly like how far we didn't, we didn't play it at the first gig. We played like Jimmy Olsen's blues in our first gig. Okay. Um, but like, I'm not sure how soon those guys latched onto two princes, but I was playing it around, you know? And so it was like, you know, on their radar. So that I like Aaron and, and I was over at Aaron, Aaron and, and, and Eric are, are drummer and guitar player respectively lived together. They were like roommates um so i was over at their house and they were like hey let's put let's put two princes together and um i was like eric was like um dude let's sounds really high (laughs) and you know he switched it from so i was doing like i had this riff that was like um So to me, that was like the whole tune. Okay. Yeah. I was like, one, two, 
I, I was, I, I, you know, my voice was, I, I still, I still got like my higher range, but you know, that, that, that was still really high for me <laughs> back then. So Eric was like, how about, how's, how does, how does like, how does D, I'm trying to hear it. That's what I said now. So I was playing like, switch it to D. What is it? <laughs> That's what I said. So it's right? Eric was like, what if we change the second chord to a minor chord? So then he so then we're playing D B minor uh, A G. Yeah. So you instead of it being like sort of going back and forth, it becomes this descending thing. That, right. That's like that's the tune right there. Yeah. I and mean, that's like that's what I said. So when you go to that that minor chord instead of just repeating the G. You know, now you got like now you got some Bach yeah. kind of shit going on. Bach Bell, Bach Bell cannons, you know, and um, and you know, it didn't have to change the, didn't have to change the the um, you know, the melody at all. You know, the melody still worked over. It. Yeah, you mentioned there that you were playing with Blues Traveler. I know you're big buddies with John Popper. I mean, y'all are in the the trucking company and everything. Give us a. Uh, Give us a, a John Popper story, or better yet, can you confirm? We heard that he collects swords. Can you confirm that? He collects swords and guns Cannons. and like yeah, <laughs> the whole. yeah. He has a cannon. He wow. has a cannon. That's or he had a cannon when he lived in when he lived in Pennsylvania. He had a cannon, <laughs> <laughs> a working cannon. That's Jeez. awesome. That's awesome. Is it? Maybe. Is it awesome? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's awesome. But it's you know, noteworthy at the very it's least. Noteworthy. There you go. This is the thing about John. And I was like, I, I had been at John's house and I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, my best friend, Ben Lewis, who's a friend of John's as well. And I was like, dude, John's crazy, man. He's got like 500 guns. <laughs> that's a lot you of know? Well, um, we want to stay on John's good side, so we're fans. Not, not, not <laughs> like, uh, no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, John's beautiful, beautiful guy. Um, Really, like a beautiful guy, and um, so I'm like, I mean, he doesn't have 500, but he has like 150, you know, okay. like he has a lot of guns. A healthy collection, and they're there. and and like some of them are like, some of them are like, wow, that's cool, like he's got a he's got like a like a world war two, like M1 carbine rifle, you know, like that's cool, that's collectible, that's like, yeah, right. But a lot of what he has is like. He just would go out and buy the latest, like, Glock uh-huh. or the latest, like, Smith & Wesson. Which is, you know, I mean, that's all good, but it's, like, that's not a collector. I mean, unless he waits, like, 100 years, it's not, like, you know what I mean? But he yeah. buys his gun. It's, like, 1800 bucks or something. And, like, the second he buys it, it's worth, like, 500 bucks. you know? <laughs> sure. It's not, you're not <laughs> buying for the resale value in that. Yeah, reason. it's not like a – it's it, – I don't know where he's at now, you know, but it, at the time it wasn't like a, a collection in the sense of like rare and beautiful guns. You know, <laughs> he had he had some that was like kind of cool and, and, and rare, but a lot of it was just like, this is Smith and Wesson, the latest like Smith and Wesson, you know? Like, <laughs> wow, okay. So, cool. you, you know, like, 
So, so, so I was like, sorry, just to, to get to the end of the, that that story. Like, I'm like talking to, to Ben. I'm like, dude, he's got so many guns, and um, and he's like, yeah, but the thing about John, you know, is like, it's one thing to have a lot of guns, but John doesn't have any bullets. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's... You know, so I was like, yeah, let's shoot some guns. You know, you want to shoot some guns? <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, cool. What do you want to shoot? And I'm like, I don't know, this and this and this. And he's like, cool, let's go to the to the store and get some ammo. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it's like, you know, there's like it's one thing to have a lot of guns. That's cool. If you if you have like I'd i I'd rather have a guy like John who's got a hundred guns and like three bullets right. yeah. <laughs> than a dude with like three guns and eight thousand rounds. That's true. That's exactly. Right. You know what I mean? That's right. That's like it's the bullets that are the problem. That's right. Yes. That's good. That's what uh, um, I think it was a uh, was it Chris Rock that said that's what we should do for like gun control or whatever is just forget get, get all the control. guns you want, but make bullets freaking expensive. Just <laughs> yeah make but yeah make a bullet five thousand dollars. Yes. Right? You know like <laughs> boom like okay wow the, nobody's killing anybody. <laughs> right. I would kill you if I could afford it. That's, that's right. Yeah I can't, I can't afford to like Oh my God! You just you know I'm, oh, this guy. I'm so mad. Like I've never been so mad in all my life, and I'm a psychopath. But I can't afford a bullet. That makes those old school guns with the things on the end you could stab people with. That much <laughs> John right. is still in control because he's got the yeah. bayonet there. Yeah, it is. Right. Totally, we'd be so much better off. Like just legalize dueling. <laughs> there you there go. we go. That's right. Let's you know, it. and only have and only and but only like have like flintlock. Rifles be right. like legal. Yeah, there you go. That's like, it. You've solved it, Chris. Well, you you, you yeah. did it. You did you it. Solved it. Boom. Right. You guys. You you you're both. Go kill each other. <laughs> you know. And if you want to kill somebody else, it's going to take you a half an hour to get another bullet <laughs> in the gun. So there you go. You know. Oh man. You all. <laughs> so you lived in Australia at age eight for three years. If I read that correct, do you remember those right. years? And is there some oh, yeah. misconception that Americans have about Australia and about all Australia? Is there some misconception that we're just way well, off? There of? aren't like there aren't like kangaroos like sure you know bouncing around. in the streets of Sydney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. Like um, that's a good one. That's a good uh, good clarification. Uh, <laughs> Australians are great. I'm trying to think. You know, it's hard to know what the misconceptions are because, you know, I don't have them because I live true, there. That's true because you live there. Okay, good. Um, but I can describe Australia. Go for it. Australia is Australia is like God's country. Okay. It's um sunny, beautiful. People are wearing bathing suits all the time, so everybody's like in really good shape. <laughs> They're just beautiful people. You know, like they have an amazing sense of humor. Have a really great sense of humor about themselves. So there's like this whole kind of concept of humor that they call send up okay. humor, which is you know making fun of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're friends with an Australian, you can say anything to them. Like I, I'm I'm pals with these guys, the Screaming Jets, um, who are a really big band over there, and I like went on tour with them. We toured like Victoria, and um, we're just driving around. And on these long van rides, they're just saying everything to each other, like <laughs> that Americans would never say to each other. They're just like, you know, busting on each other's like musical limitations, or somebody's a little <laughs> bit of weight, or you know, the way you know their personal appearance, and 
um, like insecurities and stuff like that. And everybody's just like laughing uproariously at themselves, you know? Right. And that's kind of the thing. Australians, like you can say anything, um, but then when it's your turn to get made fun of, you better laugh, (laughs) you know, or you're a wanker, you know, (laughs) that's like the cardinal sin is like kind of taking yourself seriously. And like one of the, one really great illustration is when, when I met, when I met Dave Gleason from the screaming jets, like, he was like, do you remember the Jerky Boys? Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Just for your listeners that don't remember the Jerky Boys, they were, they did these like crank phone calls and they were very extensive. And sometimes they would call the same person over and over again and antagonize them. And they had these like crazy like premises that they would pretend to be like a, you know, a tradesperson or somebody who was like wanted wanted to like use a business and they were like really kind of dirty and weird and <laughs> and um you know th- but there were these really like taking crank phone calls to this like other level very extensive kind of level and at the time that record was like taking australia by storm and everybody just thought it was amazing um and talking to um dave and his wife katie about it what made it so popular in Australia was they were like, no Australian would ever fall for this because we don't take ourselves seriously. Like they would immediately know this was a joke. <laughs> and what made it so funny was like Americans are like, they take themselves so seriously. And the fact that like, you know, there's a whole other level of humor to it because they were like, Americans are like so serious and they don't, they didn't even get that this was like a joke. Wow. Um, so there you go. I'm gonna. Everybody hates me now. Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> an unpatriotic, like sure, disloyal. But that even that is like even that is like indicative of like the difference in attitude. You know, like I, like if if you said if you came up with like a pithy criticism of like a, an an Australian like lack of perspective, they'd be like, yeah, mate, we really we're really myopic in that in that <laughs> okay i gotta go back i gotta go all the way back to the very beginning of what we were talking about because i i have i have i want to know where you came from as a vocalist uh your vocal style and your vocal delivery is so unique um that you know like a lot of times you you listen to a singer and you can kind of hear the soil that they grew out of in their voice you i have no bearing for whatsoever <laughs> where did you come from as a vocalist um that's such a perceptive question um like i i'd just like to start answering that question by saying i am not a serious person I'm an earnest, I'm an earnest person. Okay. I'm a sincere person and I'm an intense person, Okay. but I'm not serious. I don't take myself seriously, but I take like what I do seriously. Okay. So that's good. I take, I take singing seriously. I don't take myself as a singer seriously, but mm. I take singing itself seriously. Okay. I take guitar playing seriously. I take writing seriously i don't i don't write play guitar or sing seriously but my approach to them is serious if, if that makes sense sure yeah to find a distinction so, like, i think it makes sense yeah if you buy a ticket to come see the spin doctors like i'm gonna be prepared i'm not mm-hmm. gonna be trashed i'm gonna be like ready to go on stage and i'm gonna like you know give you i'm gonna bring all of my training to bear to like 
give you a great show. And everybody in the band feels that way. You know, we're all like, we'll be up there goofing around, but. But you're still professional and polished. But we're, and, yeah, we're polished and professional and we're like prepared. And, and, and you can really hear it even on, I'll listen to the songs from the road album. I mean, you guys just crushed every song is just, you know, absolute, uh, just so it really comes through. You can hear it. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's like a seriousness about about what we do, and our approach to it. But there isn't like a seriousness about ourselves, and um, and so I, um, as a singer, I like I've always sung. You know, one of my earliest memories is like singing along with the radio in a convertible with my mom in her old Morgan. And I'm singing the backing vocals, which I don't even know is like a thing. You know, I'm just singing the <laughs> harmony part. And I must have been, you know, six or seven years old. And my mom was like, do you know this song? And I was like, no. She's like, you're singing the harmony. I was like, what's the harmony? And she's like, you have a beautiful voice. And that was it. You know, it's one of those moments where you're like little and somebody says something. And you're like, okay, I got a beautiful voice. That's cool. <laughs> Bear that in mind. So, like, I... I um, always sang, you know, just as as a little kid, and then I, um, um, I in middle school I was in like the choir, and I got thrown out of the choir. Which really? Was, yeah, which was you know kind of a blow, and I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong about singing. That's a drag. Oh well, and um, I got to. Um, Got to high school, and a funny thing happened. My science teacher somehow got the idea that I should be an AP bio. Okay. Which gave me an one extra elective on my – because, I, you know, the, the, there was more credit for that class. So sure. I had one extra elective. I'm looking at the electives, and I'm like, Latin? And I'd already taken a little bit of Latin in Australia at my private school. I was like, I don't want to do any more Latin. <laughs> Italian. You know, I'm already taking like French. I, was like, I don't know. And then it was like music theory. And I was like, music theory, music theory, the theory of music. Oh, that must be like melodies, rhythm and harmony and stuff like that. That sounds interesting. And I'm just on a whim. I was like, I took that class. So the teacher of that class ended up being Portia Sonnenfeld, who was like, you know, uh, my music program in at Princeton High ended up being like this incredible program with these great teachers like Portia Sonnenfeld, who could have been like, you know, a conductor at like, you know, Philharmonic in, in you know, in a city like St. Louis or, you know what I mean, Minneapolis or something like that. Like she could have been like a, a uh, a conductor of a Philharmonic. Yeah. And instead she was the conductor of our high school orchestra and taught music theory. So that class was like freaking mind blowing, mm-hmm. you know, um, in a lot of different ways. So I'm, now I'm learning about chord progressions and stuff like that. And um, I go through freshman year taking that class. And um, meanwhile, I'm friends with this guy, Ben Lewis, who I mentioned before, he's the guy, the bullet guy. And the guy was like, you know, lots of bullets, bad, lots of guns, maybe not so bad. <laughs> so Ben has perfect pitch, which means he can hear, you know, a note and know what note it is just out of the blue. So he and I um, were really into Simon and Garfunkel. And he would sing the Paul Simon parts and I would sing the Art Garfunkel parts, which are really high. Mm. So he was like, dude, you have a really like amazing rare male voice you're a tenor i was like what's a tenor it's like it's the high part of the male voice and like it's rare 
you know, um, there's like, you know, 25 baritones in the choir and like six tenors in the choir. I was right. like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, I, you know, I got kicked out of the middle school choir. So I, I, you know, like it's all good, well and good. You're my friend. Thanks. But you know, <laughs> I, I suck at singing. Um, it's official. And, um, so I get into this choir and basically like, you know, that was, you know, I don't really, I can't, I don't really read sheet music, but if I know a piece of music, I can read it. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, sure. I, I can, I always say I can decipher sheet music. Uh, that's oh, that's learn, well phrased. Yeah. I can decipher sheet music. I, I know what everything means, but I can't like, you know, my wife can read fly shit at 50 feet, you know, just sight <laughs> read. I can't, but so then, um, so basically like, you know, the choir goes to Europe. Um, and we spend like the whole year getting ready to go to this international competition called the Vienna Youth and Music Festival. And, you know, it's like my first time just like working my balls off on music. We had like, you know, rehearsals that went until like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, we're honing in on all this stuff. And, um, you know, we get to Europe and I'm just like 15 at this point, maybe 16. And I'm just like, I'm. I'm in Vienna, <laughs> like singing in St. Stephen's Cathedral, right. like, and I'm 16 years old, and I'm here because I can sing, mm. you know, like my singing got me yeah. here, and I was like doing, and then, um, <laughs> then there was like, you know, there was this, uh, you know, moment where we're like going in to do like the final, like, you know, we did this whole tour and then it culminated in doing the, the competition. We're down in this rehearsal room and Trigo is just like making us do this like part of this one piece like over and over and over again. And I'm like, what does he want from us? Like, we're this is perfect. We're doing this perfectly. And he's drilling us and drilling us and drilling us. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, why does, what does he want? And I realized like, oh, there's like music starts at like, the perfect execution. Once you're like executing something perfectly, then there's this whole like ocean of musicality beyond that. It's all about like art and expression. Yeah. And like, you know, like I'm just about to go on stage and do this like competition that I've been preparing for for a year and have like, you know, this incredible musical, musical insight. So, you know, I, I sang in the choir for the rest of, of that time. But meanwhile, you know, like, like I said, I, I love like Simon and Garfunkel. I listened to a ton of Bob Marley and Bob Marley like has this great phrasing and we have like exactly the same range and um, his voice kind of breaks up in a very similar way to mine. So I sang along with tons of Bob Marley records um, and I think that had a really big effect on me as a singer. And then, you know, I, I moved to New York. I end up in the Spin Doctors, and um, it's an extraordinarily challenging gig vocally because we're, you know, like jet engine loud. Right. And we're playing in these little clubs, and the monitors are, are really bad. The monitors for your listeners who don't know what they are, the speakers that point back at the band so you can hear yourself. Sure. So, you know, I can't really hear myself so hot, and, you know, I'm just singing my, my neck out. And, um, my girlfriend at the time, this is 1989. She's like, you should take vo voice lessons. And I was like, oh, 
So, like, I take voice lessons, I take guitar lessons. So, like, the, the, the answer to your question is, like, I come from, you know, a, a classical singing background. I come from, like, a choir background. And um, I learned how to sing, like, in an ensemble. I learned how to, like, sing, like, serious music that was, like, atonal and weird. And to take, like, that classical approach, you know, um, where like tone is all important. And I also went to like jazz conservatory for, for oh. I met the new, I met the spin doctors at jazz conservatory. Really? So, yeah. So like we, I only, I'm like, I basically moved to New York and um, I just said to my dad, like, okay, I've just moved to New York and like John Popper and um, Brendan Hill, the drummer of blues traveler and Bobby Sheehan are all like in this music program. At um at Parsons and like I um you know I want to go to this program but like I don't want to get a degree in music like will you just like I want to go there and you know meet other musicians put a band together and like learn everything soak up everything I can while I'm there but then I just want to put a band together and I'll quit you know so will you just pay for like a semester or two of this conservatory and my dad was like yeah absolutely so um you know i get there and that's where i met aaron and i met eric and i was also like you know exposed to this kind of whole jazz um aesthetic too where um again you know in a different way than classical music but like tone and um expression you know are were like emphasized and a certain kind of samurai musicianship was emphasized too because you know we were coming out of we were, everybody was still recording on tape back then yeah. you know so you really needed a certain kind of discipline and skill to go into the studio yeah true. um it's not like today where you know I, i'm not trying to be like yeah it's on pillow both ways or school <laughs> and now or anything like that i'm just you know i'm just remarking on the technical differences um that you know um you know, when, when, I, when I was making records, it was easier than it was for the generation before me, you know, sure. so I'm, I'm not like trying to say like that, that's a continuum that, that like happens with the technology of any field, you know, sure. but like, you know, we're recording on tape and there wasn't like the kind of editing possibilities. Now you're just like looking at, you know, a digital file in your, um, you know, in a computer. And if you need to like undo an edit, you just hit, you know, command Z and it's, it's like, it never happened back right. then. If you needed to edit something, you had to do with a razor blade, right. you know, <laughs> who's going to, who's going to cut the tape, you know, of the take that you'd worked so meticulously at and the tape, the roll of tape cost 350, like nineteen. $90. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. So yeah. it was like, it, it was a really different game. So we were being trained you know, we were being trained to be able to execute a piece of music very quickly and in as few takes as possible, preferably in like one take, you know, um, because we were being trained to be session musicians. So the idea was you're going to go into a session to record like a jingle and, um, you know, you're going to have like a, a chart in front of you or, you know, some people did it by ear, but you're going to be, you know, you're going to need to like hear this piece of music like once yeah. or read it and just like, you know, one, two, three, go and get it, you know, right. and not be the guy who up and, you know, never get hired again. Right. So that's kind of like where, where we were coming from. But, you know, singing wise, I think one of the reasons, maybe one of the reasons it was kind of hard to 
put your finger on where I'm coming from is that I, I'm actually like a really highly trained singer. My, 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 my voice teacher, Neil, um, has like 80% opera students and 20% musical theater students. And then I'm like his rock and roll guy. You know, right, okay. obviously he's not, he's not trying to get me to sing like an opera singer, yeah. you know, he's, we just work purely on technique yeah. and he also kind of, he busts my chops about like interpretation. So he'll be like, okay. yeah, Chris, you've got that cute, like kind of thing or that plaintive, like Jimmy Olsen's thing, like, you know, Hey, love me instead of him kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he'll be like, I want to hear you sing this like as if it's a foregone conclusion. He's gonna, so he pushes me that way, and and it's all like it's all technical. So in conclusion, like the the my approach to singing is really like it's technical in that I don't want to have to have like much effort going on in my singing, and I'm mostly using that technique to get like my physical crap out of the way, so I can just be really expressive. Yeah, I love that. Um, you mentioned that, uh, you took some French in school and, uh, I have to tie that into a question that if I don't ask you, my kids are going to disown me. Um, huh? a family, a family favorite, uh, among uh, probably the, the spin doctors album that probably gets the most play by my family as a whole is turn it upside down. You ought to know that girl by Cleopatra's favorite cat Cleopatra's favorite cat and, Oh, cool. Um, and a, fa- a family favorite among all the kids is always Biscuit Head. It has just been <laughs> part of my family since my kids were little. They can't get enough of it. They love it. <laughs> Biscuit Head And I know you're spouting some French in Biscuit Head, so I'm going to use that as an excuse to tie this in. Um, but am I? I've, I think so, right? There's a, there's a spot, I feel like, right before um, there's kind of a little breakdown interlude thing. What, it oh. sounds French to my ears. I don't know. Oh, no, no, that's Malbajau. It's like a stupid, like language that doesn't mean anything that really that, um, I, yeah that i just used to speak on stage in the early days of of the um of the band and we all like us and the blues traveler and our friends we all used to like Malbajau was like kind of one of those like aloha type words that means like it means like hello or goodbye or okay. like Okay, things. or like everything's cool, or you know, like uh, it was a toast, you know, like yeah. <laughs> clinking glasses of Mabajau. Um, and I would just like be like Mabajau, Kubufa, Mala, Nama, Damale. Yeah, okay, so it's, just, it's garbled goop. Yeah, wow, Mabajau. Okay, I learned now. I, my kids are gonna love me again. Yay. Okay, <laughs> no, uh, so just tell me the story, and, and you can go through this as quickly as you want to. But what, what the crap is Biscuit Head about? Um, it's, it was like sort of a, 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 like a bit of a, like mockery of like this social, 
you know, an intellectual trends of the late 20th century. It's just like, I'm all this about Eddie is like me basically like ragging on Eddie better. Okay. Um, okay. I, uh, wow. <laughs> speaking of like speaking, cause Eddie, Eddie, not Eddie. Well, Eddie, but the, those guys <laughs> got all of the money. We were on the same label as them. Okay. Yeah. And like, we would like, the label would be like, Hey, um, we've got this like promotional thing. Can you guys do it? Like, yeah, sure. And show up and be like, you know, shake everybody's hand, kiss all the babies and, you know, like do everything. <laughs> and like, they were always just like, oh God, uh, you guys are awesome. Like, the, like the, the Pearl Jam guys are like such a drag. When, when we answer, <laughs> they never want to do any of this stuff. And they, they're like, you know, surly about it. Yeah. And you guys are like a delight. But we would like go on tour and we would like pull into a town and it would be like, Full page ad for for Pearl Jam, you know, <laughs> for their record. Full page ad for their gig, you know, an article about them, and we'd be like, there'd be like nothing about us, you know, right. like they're just getting all the money, all of the push, and meanwhile, like everybody's like, oh god, you guys are so nice compared to them. We're like doing everything they're asking us to do, and yeah. just like getting like, getting kind of passed over. You're getting the the puppet show and Spinal Tap treatment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've always had kind of a a chip on my shoulder about those guys. Um, not the guys themselves, except I, I I don't think Eddie's a very good singer. Um, but uh, that's a that's a whole other that's a whole <laughs> other. hot take. <laughs> yeah, that's my hot take. Um, uh, so yeah, and then it was like. Um, what is it like? Hey, now Nelly with a buckle in your belly. Yeah. Um, shall I compare your peanut butter to your jelly? Like it was like everybody then was like starting to get tattoos and like piercings and stuff like that. And I was just like making fun of like, just basically making fun of everybody and everything. <laughs> it's, sort, it's sort of nonsense. You know, I mean, it, it's yeah. not like. Do not ascribe any profundity to, right. to it at all. <laughs> Nothing smart or, you know, it's just. You, you weren't going basically. for deepness there. That wasn't your. Yeah, uh, I was like, Mark came in, Mark White, our bass player, came in with that riff, with that. Yeah. And I was like, I always, when I'm writing a song with those guys or with anybody, you know, if if somebody comes to me with an idea that I'm then finishing, you know, I want to like write something that. um you know, adheres to like their idea of the piece of music, you know, because the lyricist, I'm not trying to like co opt the song and just make it my own thing when it starts out as somebody else's idea. Sure. And also, like, it's helpful to just be like, what were you thinking of when you, right, when you wrote this? So I'm like, what were you thinking of when you wrote this? You, Mark's like, biscuit head. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's what I had. To, that's what I had to work with. You know what I mean. So I just—that's—that's that's all I had. Great. So what do you want? What do you want from me, man? You know. <laughs> so let me let me piggyback off kind of where you just were then, um, because mm-hmm. we were talking about you know kind of each member of the band seems to really have their own voice on their instruments and as players, and obviously we've talked about you vocally. Um, and that, you know, seems to be a, a strength, uh, you know, when it comes to getting yourselves across as a band, right? You hear, um, you know, each each member, you go, oh, that's the guy from Spin Doctors. And if it was somebody else, I would know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I was wondering, has that been a strength in the writing process? Um, or is it, you know, something that's been difficult to manage at times when everybody has their own unique thing? That's a great question. When, when um when we first started out as young and um I was um 
you know, it takes a certain level of maturity to collaborate. And I've always been like a pretty self-sufficient writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started writing songs when I was like, you know, you know, 13, 14 years old. And, um, and, you know, I wrote two princes when I was 19. I was like, I, 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 you know, if I may say, I've been pretty good at writing songs <laughs> from the get go. Like, yeah. Yeah. My first songs were like pretty good songs. And, um, um, so, it took me a while to wrap my head around um, collaborating because mm. it's a skill, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a skill and it's actually like a form of like security with your own idea. You know, and Eric was great back then. Like uh, Eric would be like, you know, I come in with a thing and like he'd have a much better idea uh, about like how it would work on an electric guitar than I would be like bringing something in from like – um from my like acoustic mm-hmm. and also like the dude just like you know at that time I mean, i'm a pretty accomplished guitar player now i'll never be as good as eric um you know and so you know eric would just have a better idea and something that was going to work better but i would be like kind of resistant to it you know mm-hmm. and he would be like look what you're doing there that's not going to go anywhere that's not going to go away if we try this let's just try this and you're, mm. you know, you can, you can do it that way. Or yeah. if this doesn't work, we can do something else, right. you know, but it, it's not going to hurt to like, just to, to work on it. And then later we made a record with Danny Korchmar. We made, um, um, you gotta believe in something with yeah. the producer, the great guitar player and producer, Danny Korchmar. And, um, I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of, I don't know, 25, 26 now, you know, still kind of like arrogant and, 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 um, I don't know if arrogance is the word, but, you know, insecure about, like, you know, who's going to come in and just, like... And then there's a lot of stories of producers and record labels steamrolling bands and forcing them to make records that, you know, really weren't the band, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, In the name of making something more commercial or just in the name of someone else taking control. So, you know, uh, there's 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 also, like, a, you know, a, a tactile you know, practical reason why I was always very careful about this concept. So I say to Danny, like, you know, what, like, why should I trust you? Why, why, sh- why, you know, are you going to come in and like, be able to like make this record better than I could make it without you Then we could make it without you. And I'll never forget this. Danny goes, look, man, when it's right, we'll all know. And that's like, you know, that's the thing about all of the all of the records that like you love, all the art you love. It's undeniable, you know? Like you look at the Mona Lisa and you're like, what the f- is going on with this thing? You know what I mean? And like po- pocket full of kryptonite, you know, we got lucky. We, you know, we we got like four guys who can really play, and we've got like, you know, some good material. And uh, we really did a good job of choosing, like, the equipment that we were working with. And, like, that record starts off, and you're just like, and you're like, okay. First time I heard um, um, Nirvana, you know, first time I heard, like, Smells Like Teen Spirit, I was like, what the f*** is this? <laughs> you know? And that is, like, uh, you know, you got to... You got to work on what you're doing. Like, you know, people, people are like, you know, people bring stuff 
to you and it's like a thing that they did in their bedroom and they get it and that's there's nothing wrong with that like there's 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 always like wacky that's not designed to be for a ton of people you know it's not designed to be commercial it's not it's designed to fill a niche but even within that kind of you hear like john coltrane or like ornette coleman (laughs) you know and you may not like it but you're still like what the that's exactly exactly how i feel about ornette coleman exactly yeah yeah i mean i love ornette coleman i gotta be in the right mood to listen to it but like you know what i mean like that that's because there's there's a moment like when i was a kid like a teenager and um i was over at my friend chris anderson's house and he had a poster it's picasso it's it's like a harlequin this is like beautiful soft you know um treatment of this like subject and um you know it's a, a, a like a representational execution of this beautiful you know painting yeah of a thing and you can tell what it is and i was like that's picasso and my buddy was like yeah i was like well, what about all that other that's you know like squares and stuff yeah. and um he was like yeah that's picasso too and i was like oh he knew what he was doing. Like he's painting all that. Shit. You know what I mean? It's not. He's not just like finger painting and like doing some stupid. Shit. Like he. He. Then I found out. You know, like he was like the. All those guys were like, yeah, we know how to draw things. Now we want to draw ideas. Yeah, that's good. It's I'm like sorry. what you were talking about in in the choir. There's a you get to the spot where you can do it perfectly, and then you learn how to express yourself with it. You know, and go beyond right. that level of like, okay, yeah, I can do it. Now, what am I going to do with it? Yeah, like this is me. And so, like, you know, actually, it's interesting. Like, you go back to um, this really funny move, m- moment in that movie, Ted. Remember the movie about the... Um, the bear um, with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, the bear. <laughs> yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. And um, the bear is, like, getting trashed at a party and he's karaokeing. <laughs> and he's, like, he's doing, like, Eddie Vedder and he's doing, you know, all these other singers. And they're all like, he's like, everybody from the 90s sings like, and my brother leans over and he goes, you don't sing that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like John Popper doesn't sing that way. Yeah. And, and like, to me, that kind of physical affectation is like, it's a physical manifestation of the insecurity of the singer. Mm, wow. So, so like, I spent a lot of time, you know, like working with my voice teacher and being like, ah, oh, you know, like I get up on stage and I'm a rock and roll musician. I feel like I got to rock. And then, so that, that like feeling of like having to rock is like, you know, it manifests itself in your throat. I get a tightness in my throat. Yeah. You know, you get singers, you're like, you're like, that's, that's a physical manifestation of like, of like you're like compensating for like uh, an emotional like inadequacy in your in your expression and so like that's what i meant by like physically like getting your getting your your body your your throat like the whole singing apparatus getting that out of the way so that because what's what's more rocking than anything is like when you can hear the emotion just coming through without any interference from like the throat or the body you know what i'm saying so like you know you listen to like you listen to he played me like we were talking about this he played me this like um um caruso um duet 
from Othello. And it's like Othello, like, you know, Iago is like tricking Othello into thinking that Desdemona has like cheated on him. And like, you hear Caruso, you hear like, you know, just like the, the anguish in his voice. And it's, and it's like pure anguish. And there's no like, he's not like closing up his throat or like, you know, doing something weird with his mouth or, you know, like shading his vowels to like show that he's really a cool guy and that everything <laughs> is like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's sure. just like, he's just opening his body and like this anguish is coming out from his heart and there's nothing more. That's the same as rock and roll. That's mm-hmm. where like, that's where it all like breaks down. That's where like, you know, Picasso and cubism and, you know, John Coltrane and Ornette Coleman and, you know, um, Caruso and opera and rock and roll, they all like, they all fall into that same artistic like bin of like life is, and we're like, it's a dilemma and you're going to die. <laughs> Born, you're all cold and wet and soggy. Something like spanks you. Like, what the? F-? And then like, you have to like, deal with like this world that's patently unfair and dishonest and people are like you over at every turn and like shooting black people for no reason and like gassing jews and you're like what is going on with this world and all of the like leaders are like dishonest and like you over and like and they're getting protected by like the courts and the you know the police are like you know i mean there's plenty of great police i don't want to like piss anybody off but you know what i'm saying like it's it's all this there's this massively corrupt thing going on whether whether you're a part of it or you're not a part of it and you have to like wake up in the morning and be like why am i going to be an honest person why am i going to be a good person why am i not going to take my frustration out on like everybody around me when everyone else is dishonest and taking their frustrations out on everybody and um and that's like that's what good music and good art is all about you know is like getting out of your own way and stopping to stopping like trying to like affect something that you think would be cool and really like making an utterance that's something like true and primal and 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 real even if it's like ornate and you know in the disguise of you know a prince you know who doesn't have any money like trying to make a play for a princess you know you know to not let go with the rich prince yeah and dude, that's how it. you bring it on home yeah that that's was so wonderful good. chris you've been so much fun you're like the smartest guy <laughs> yeah. in every room seriously not just in this room like this. <laughs> we literally have we literally have a, a board have a full board of, of questions 19 questions and i think we've asked four and that's been <laughs> perfectly fine yeah. this has been wonderful we yeah. have loved this um we normally do points of these things where we just embellish the things we love about the artist. I wanted to talk about angels and one-armed jugglers within a cold way, and we wanted to talk about you've got something, to, uh, you got to believe in something when you added Anthony on there. But man, you know what? This has been so much better than anything yeah. that we had mapped out. Yep. So thank you. But we do have one question that we have to ask everybody. Yeah. This is one that we ask yeah, yeah. every single person. So you're sure. on tour either with Spin Doctors or Solo Project. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of it, I'll tell you mine. I get a Three Musketeers bar um, when i was growing up my mom would say you could have any candy bar you want and that's the most ounces for the money they're all the same price yeah. I get. so i get a three musketeers bar chris what is your gas station when i was a kid food? i was a three musketeers guy get, get, that was my favorite that was my favorite um that was my favorite candy bar growing up because it's 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 the biggest one and it's no bullshit 
chocolate goodness and like let me You're, let me get to it yin yeah yang, me and chris that's it bring yeah. it all together it's good stuff man. it's good stuff thank you snickers snickers for bitches but now i like exactly that's our next well, t-shirt that's the episode that, title that's, for that's, this that's what yeah. it's called that's great man that's fun <laughs> <laughs> good call chris this has been so much fun thank you so much for doing this oh my pleasure man. thank thank you guys give me a call if you're ever in new york will we'll do, do. Man, you sure. better believe Absolutely. Right, do the same if you're around nashville all right we'll do See, man. thanks, thanks man. guys bye-bye bye now this is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Chris <laughs> Barron. Oh, man. A delight. Uh-huh. He was a delight. He played a song. He, he did, man. Come on. That's the cool, like, that's the coolest thing that happens during interviews. Dude. Whenever somebody reaches, like, the well, guitar. I got the thing right here. Let's just get dig into this a little uh, bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, come on. That was so great. So cool. Tell 15-year-old me that just happened. I know. And he's going to. He is pants. So when we actually did that interview, we went to eat Japanese food after and just gushed over how cool that was. Yeah. Like, and that, we loved that. That was a marker for us of like, dude. That was so fun. This thing that we do is awesome. That's this right. thing that we get to do is incredible. So, and part <laughs> he, of that involves. He even took a jab. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Part of us, uh, I mean, part of this thing we do, by the way, is you. When you listen, it makes us so happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we did this to pop ourselves and because we thought it would be fun. But then people started listening. Yeah. And then people started caring about the show. And, and, and it became important to some people. And so to become part of your life over this last nine seasons is really humbling to us. Absolutely. Um, and to have made so many friends literally across the world because of this show, uh, it just is so very meaningful to us so from the bottom of our hearts for the past nine seasons thank you here's to the next nine Dude, let's do it 90 90 000 seasons i am in 200 plus yeah. we're gonna keep going that's right let's do this but we'll see y'all again on season 10 and we'll be doing stuff in the middle don't we worry. will we'll have we'll have another episode for you next week we're really not going anywhere it's just we're gonna <laughs> do something different. different in between seasons it's- and then we'll kick off season 10 in just a matter of a few weeks you'll never um, miss us maybe so- you will a little bit <laughs> maybe you will we'll see you next time we see you how about that uh, that's all good. right until then i'm rob i am jp go listen to some music